So uh, before we start this morning, before I start the sermon, uh, I want to ask a question, and I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hand. Now, before I even ask the question, though, let me assure you that if you don't want to raise your hand, you don't have to. But I didn't need to tell you that because we only do what we want to around here anyway, right? So, um, but if you feel like you would like to raise your hand when I ask this question and it applies to you, would you, would you do so? So my question is, how many of you have gotten at least one shot of the vaccine? Okay, that's all I wanted to know. That's it. I would say that's an interesting piece of data. So just wanted, just wanted to see that. Uh, not because I'm nervous or weirded out or anything like that. It's just it's like what I'm going to talk about in the sermon today. Believe it or not, that just came to me. So this is dangerous. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 the thing about it is, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And unless you know somebody who's been sick, it's hard to know that, isn't it? It's hard to know that that's actually what's, that it's, it's real. Um, you hear about vaccines, it's hard to know if that's real until you get the shot in your arm, right? Um, we talk a lot about reconciliation and peace, uh, but that's not a ethereal concept in, in the work of the gospel that happens between real, live, breathing people, right? It's not a, it's not, the, and that, that is the, the nitty-gritty uh, of uh, the way uh, the gospel works. After all, Jesus came in the flesh, right? And all that that meant. So in light of that, uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump into this uh, text. Lord, as we come to you today, I think it's uh, good for us to, um, well, just to be glad uh, that you're God and, and you're at work, that nothing happens in this world outside of your care and concern. And so, so much of that is uh, uh, hard for us sometimes to understand, and yet uh, we know that you're good. We know, Jesus, that uh, you suffered and died for our sins. And we, uh, are, as we think about that today, we recognize just the power of the cross, that that is our hope, and uh, that is our message. And so would you uh, bless us in confidence in that today, even as it applies to loving those people with whom we disagree in our church? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, Philippians 4, verses 2 through 5, the text is in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I have found myself this week as I've been preparing for this sermon feeling a little jealous of the first century church 
and feeling a little jealous of the, of the believers in Philippi because uh, one of the things that is uh, interesting to me about that is uh, they didn't know everything that was going on in the world within seconds of it happening. We know too much. Uh, and it's overwhelming. And it's especially overwhelming if everything that comes, comes to you with a sense that somehow or other you must have a response to that. And please understand, I am not saying that we are not to be concerned about uh, uh, world events. But we know, we saw what happened this week in Georgia. If you watch the news at all, you see another uh, human tragedy happening on our southern border that is just heartbreaking and confusing. Did you know that there's a genocide going on right now in Ethiopia? Not many people you know, in America are able to keep up with that because we've got so much going on right here, right now. And I've tried to study that, that, that what's going on in Ethiopia, and I, it's very confusing, frankly. And I, I confess to just praying for, for peace there because, you know, Ethiopia has a great uh, uh, historic Christian witness and church there. After all, one of the first converts to Christianity was an Ethiopian, right? The Ethiopian eunuch that Philip led to, to Christ, right? And so when you, we look at these things, we just see the trouble that the world is in. It is heartbreaking, and it is lamentable in the fullest biblical sense. And it becomes overwhelming, and I know for many of us, the kind of people that we are, when we are overwhelmed, we, we are tempted to become calloused, we're tempted to become um, paralyzed, we're tempted to become, um, well, embittered by the things that we see. Particularly because we have this media and social media that allows us to weigh in in ways, frankly, again, you know, you might not like, well, I don't care whether you like it or not. I don't like it, and I find it to be often very unhelpful. They didn't have that. And yet, these two dear sisters in the Lord, who I can't wait to meet in heaven, don't agree. <laughs> they don't agree. And they got called out in the church, in the worship service. But there's something beautiful about that. Uh, and, and I want you to understand what the, the beauty of this is. Sometimes when we hear topics like reconciliation, or we hear topics about peace, we hear these things, they become so big to us and so global, it becomes very difficult for us to know what to do. The great thing about this text is that it brings the gospel to bear in time and in space with people in the same room. Right? Uh, you can put my notes up there, Scott. I, I know some of you probably don't like Wendell Berry because he, he seems a little, I don't know, Wendell Berry-ish. But uh, 
One of the things that he wrote, and I think it's a great, no matter how much one may love the world as a whole, one can live fully in it only by living responsibly in some small part of it. I think there's some real truth to that, right? Um, and, I, and please forgive me if this offends you. I don't mean this to, uh, to offend you, but it's very hard to be about the ministry of reconciliation out there if you're not doing it in here. Right? What, what, what kind of reconciliation does the gospel bring to bear if we can't even have a church, a, 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 a place where we live as brothers and sisters and as these women are t- talked about here, having our names written beside each other in the book of life. So what I love about this text is, is it, it brings it down to the real world here, right? Paul has been writing about some really profound things, right? We, 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 uh, uh, that great passage in Philippians 2 about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, emptying himself and taking upon himself flesh and entering into our world and that we are to have that same mind as well. And so when we read that text and we see that, it is any believer, anybody who has the Spirit of God alive in them will find that stirring, will find that moving. Even as, and probably even more so, because that thing of Jesus Christ entering into our world, that truth, that reality, that the, the second person of the Trinity emptied himself by taking on human flesh, even the flesh of a servant, even dying upon a cross, is, is, is our life. But that life is not something that exists out here as a theological fiction That life means nothing really, ultimately, if it doesn't do something with Euodia and Seneca. If it doesn't move them toward one another. If it doesn't cause them to deal with whatever it is that causes their rift. And so there's, there's just a, there's something really wonderful about the way Paul addresses this in this church. And we should see as he does this how he loves this church and how he wants to see these great truths that he's been talking about in this letter come to bear and lived out in the fruit and the life of the people that he's writing to. So next slide, please, Scott. So really there's nothing new in this chapter as we'll see. It's simply... Uh, the application of his earlier thoughts in the letter. He writes about unity in, in chapter 1, verses 27 through chapter 2, verse 4, and he writes about gentleness, graciousness, and forbearance uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Next slide. Let's look at those again, right? He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What has he said here in this, in this text? That he wants to help these women who have labored side by side with him in the gospel, together with Clement, right? 
What we are seeing here and what he is getting at and what he is, is recognizing here is he's describing the work of the gospel and how it manifests itself in the lives of two fallen sinners. That the, that, that, uh, and, and I'm reminded here of you know, that, that great uh, book of, of uh, C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, where he talks about the different kinds of loves. And, and you know, friendship is where you, you're side by side looking out and you see the same thing. And you discover that in someone else and you think, I, I, oh, you see that too? I thought I was the only one who saw that. That's what's happening here. You see, in the gospel, what we see is we both see the, the work of Jesus Christ. We both agree that we are sinners. We both agree that we are broken. And we both agree that our lives are hidden in Jesus Christ and that his cross is the reconciling power to us and for us. And yet, there's something here that's caused a rift, right? So he says that he wants us to be of one mind, striving by, side by side for the faith of the gospel, right? Go, go on to the next slide, Scott. He goes on to say, so that if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participate in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, Seneca and Euodia, having the same love, Seneca and Euodia, being in full accord and of one mind. Did he say be of one mind, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we read this text, and it sounds so great. It sounds so awesome. It's so heartwarming. Till you look across the, the, the room and you think, and i got to apply it to that person over there I don't like. the beauty and glory of the church, right? Because the gospel is of, is of no value to us if it simply tells us to love the world, but not Paul, not Mark, not DJ, right? My mom and dad, it's, I, you know, they've been gone a few years now, and I think about their marriage, and I and I wonder how they stayed married, because uh, they could not have been more different. And in my experience growing up, and maybe some of you have had the same experience uh, as well, my, my experience was growing up with them that uh, my dad, whatever church we were in as a kid, my dad was up front leading the singing, he would teach Sunday school, he would do everything, he was an elder, you know, people loved him, he would preach whenever the pastor was out of town, I mean... People just thought he was the greatest thing ever. Marty's mom and dad will say that they learned what uh, the Presbyterian church really believed from my dad's Sunday school class. Church would be over. He'd be glad-handing, grinning, laughing, talking to people, praying with people, hanging out. And mom would be sitting in the car in the parking lot. When's your father getting out of there? Would you go get your father? So my dad loved my mom, and I think my mom loved my dad. And so one year for Christmas, he got her this little plaque that had Linus, the character from Peanuts, standing there with his towel, 
sucking his thumb, and it said, I love mankind, it's the people I can't stand. <laughs> right? Love is great in concept. Love is challenging in practice. And that is what Paul says to, to the church, have the same mind among yourselves that was in Jesus Christ who took on flesh, who took on sin, who took on death, right? That love is powerful only insofar as it intersects with those with whom we find difficulty loving. And so, here we go. Uh, next slide, please, Scott. This, he wants this, uh, he's going to speak to these women very directly about how that gospel truth, how that reality of Jesus Christ now comes to bear in their disagreement. Now, a couple of things that we need to draw out about this. Notice what he says. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syndicate. Right? He uses the same language to both of them. Now, now, one of the things that we know about Paul is that whenever the gospel truth is at stake, whenever, whenever the, the nature of the atonement or the nature of the righteousness by faith is at stake, Paul is very direct. In fact, insultingly direct. In fact, he's profane at times in the way in which he calls people to account who, who take the gospel and teach it wrongly or teach another gospel. But in this case, there's a disagreement and there's a rift in the church. But he, he, he simply says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. He doesn't pick sides and he doesn't do anything more, more to criticize them other than to say, you ladies need to agree in the Lord. Right? He uses the same language with both. He doesn't choose sides. He doesn't say, well, I like, I like her argument better than her argument. Whatever it is, whatever their disagreement is, it is, a, it is a powerful disagreement, but it is not a disagreement that strikes at the essential nature of the gospel. It is not a disagreement where, where eternity is at stake. And it's not a disagreement where he would say that one of these women or both of these women are not believers because he's very clear about that, right? He says that you would help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, right? And then he's going to go on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. In other words, he is saying to them, live as if the Holy Spirit of God is alive in you, because it is, because you are our fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever the disagreement is, it doesn't strike at the vitals of the faith, but it does strike at the unity of the church. And so you need to ask yourself, I need to ask myself, that when I am in a disagreement with someone else, is it, is it such a disagreement that I am willing to stake the unity of the church, the peace of the church, for my position. Uh, commentators speculate about what it is that they disagree about, that it may be something about the direction of the church, that it may be something about the leadership of the church. It's, it's unclear what it is, but whatever it is, Paul simply says, 
Ladies, agree. You need to agree in the Lord. In the Lord. Now, what does that mean, in the Lord? Well, that means, in the, in the Lord doesn't, it means that you take what you know to be true about Jesus Christ, you take what you know to be true about the gospel, and you bring it to bear now in this disagreement that you have with one another. And, and what that may mean is that whatever your disagreement is, maybe, maybe you set it aside. Maybe you decide, you know what, the, the, the gospel and the unity of this body is more important than me winning this argument or me winning this decision, right? Sometimes what happens to us is, just like, it, like we take the good things in, in life and, and that are great gifts from God, but only gifts from God, but we make those ultimate things, sometimes we make our disagreements with one another the ultimate thing. But I think Paul's clear here, if the gospel itself is not at stake, then we are urged to live in peace, even if that peace in the Lord requires us to sacrifice something that we might hold very dear. right? But if the gospel itself is not at stake, then what? He wants us to be very careful about tearing the unity of the church. Look what he says here, that they have labored side by side, that their names are written in the book of life. One of the things that I find so fascinating about conflict in, in the church between people who are really Christians, and this happens to us very often, I see this happen a lot, that people will disagree in the church, and one of the ways that they kind of, I don't know, remove responsibility for themselves or make their own peace with it, they'll say, well, you know, Steve disagrees with me about this, and Steve, he must not be a Christian. Really? Because if you were really a Christian, could you post that on Facebook? If you were really a Christian, could, could, you, could you go see that movie? If you were really a Christian, could, could you really do that? They, they must not be a Christian. And so somehow or other, I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? I begin to think about them differently. Where what Paul is saying is their names are written in the book of life. They spend eternity together. They are united in the Lord. They, they have the purpose for the mission of the church to be laborers side by side. Even though in the midst of that, there is some difference, some difference of opinion, some, something that causes a disagreement between the two of them. But because their destiny is the same, and because their focus is the same, their confession is the same. Uh, again, I'm going to use another offensive illustration, but I'm just full of them today, so it must have been something in the coffee. But uh, uh, if, you, if, if you walk around neighborhoods in, in the West End, I don't, I don't know if that's true on the South Side, but I know it is true here in the West End, that you will see in front of a lot of houses little flags that say, in this house, you know, we believe in the dignity of all life, black lives matter, we believe in uh, science, we believe in really, really great things that people believe in, and it tells you something about the people that live in that house. I came across one the other day as I was out walking, and that, you know, the as I'm getting older, it's harder to read these things. The print was, because, you know, people have a lot of things that they're for, <laughs> you know? And so, so 
there's a lot of words on this flag, you know? And I'm like, well, that one looks different from the ones I've seen before. And as I got up closer to it, it says, in this house, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I was reading that, and I was like, oh, my goodness. The creed's written to unite people. The creed is written to say, this thing, this summary of gospel and Bible truth is what unites us. And what puts us together and is the thing that defines us both now and in eternity. I don't know if Euodia was a Democrat and Seneca was a Republican. I don't know if Clement was a Libertarian. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. But I know they're brothers and sisters. And that brotherhood and that sisterhood was forged by Jesus Christ taking upon their brokenness and their sin. Notice the way the, the process here, too, that it's, it's really important because it says the whole church is involved in this. What he says there is, I, have, I also ask you, that in this word here, that, that what's translated here is true companion, I, th I think that, you know, you, you could read that like there's some unnamed person there. That the word there is Sisygus, 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 which I actually think is, is somebody's name. I, think, I, don't, I don't think it's just true companion, that's what it means, but I think it's actually somebody's name. So Paul is naming people in the church, along with Euodia and Seneca, to say, hey, Sisygus and Clement and the rest of the fellow workers, you need to help them. When Eliot stood up here this morning and took these, this vow before the church, what happened there is we all became involved in helping Eliot look more and more like Christ, and Eliot becomes even more involved in helping all of us look more and more like Christ. And so when you become a part of the church, you, you take away the ability for you to say, this conflict, this issue that I'm having is none of your business. Now, granted, you know, you could get a little cult-like and we don't, have to, we don't have time to get into that. But Paul obviously sees here that church leadership and other members of the church need to get involved in helping these women live out in their lives and in their relationship what they say they believe about the gospel. That's a great gift that the church brings to us, right? That Clement and Sisygus love Euodia and Seneca. Paul loves them. And rather than take sides or, or, or in, engage in it, they're simply going to try to get them together to come to some sort of agreement. Now, it, it, I don't know what that agreement looks like because it doesn't look here to me like that there needs to be some sort of process. Maybe there does need to be some sort of process of, of, of repentance and, and that sort of thing. I don't know what it is, but simply Paul's ideal here is that whatever it is that is separating you, don't allow that to keep your agreement in the gospel from shining forth. How will the church bear witness to the reconciling power of the gospel of Jesus Christ if we ourselves are not reconciled, right? 
And then lastly, he says this, right? He says, to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Because we know that the very presence of Jesus Christ is here and that every moment that passes by, we are that much closer to seeing him face to face. Uh, Because we know that the gospel sets us free, that the ultimate thing, the thing in the end, the thing that matters the most is is Jesus Christ and his his, uh, divinity and his death and his resurrection, that that is what matters the most, that is what gives us reasonableness. And that, therefore, it feeds our joy because we are able to relax and rejoice in the goodness of our God to us and in the fellowship that he is building with us with people who we, with whom we may differ. Let me just take a moment here to say something about this word about reasonableness as well. I think, I think one, of the, one of the problems that we have, one of the things that... That, that happens to us uh, in, and has happened culturally, and when I say culturally, I mean in the, in the Christian evangelical uh, 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 subculture that, that we exist in, that many of us exist in, is this, that what, what, what we've come to, to, to agree about is not so much that what unifies us is, say, the Apostles' Creed, the truth of the gospel, but what unifies us is how mad we are at other people. Do you, do you, get, do you get what I'm, I'm saying? So, so that our unity is, is not a, a Christ-focused, a cross-centered unity. What unifies us is, is that we both are angry at the same people, and we're both, we, can, we can share that anger, right? And that, that what unites us and that what gives the picture to what the gospel is is a bunch of angry people. So that if someone comes along and we disagree with them, and we may need to disagree with them, what, the, the great part of disagreeing is being as disagreeable as possible as you disagree. Name-calling. Finger-pointing. Right? And so what Paul gets at here is, is that the power of the gospel, the reconciling work that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again, the very glory of God expressed in the church as, as we love and serve and focus on the gospel across our differences is, 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 is something powerful so that, that our reasonableness comes from the joy that we have, the knowledge that we have, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that that is what unites us and not these smaller issues. I'm, I'm here to tell you today, I believe, I, I, I believe that there are a, a finite number of ultimate things of ultimate importance. And then there's another list of things that are important. <laughs> and then there's another list of things that aren't that important. The ultimate things are the things that unite all Christians. The things that are important but not of ultimate importance are the things that unite confessional Christians that have a particular confession. Right? 
And so what we have to recognize and what, this, what Paul is urging upon this church here in Philippi is, listen, the thing that unites you, the thing that puts you together is not a common enemy, but it is a common Savior and a common belief about that Savior. And that's why he is able to urge and to put the whole church to work in the business of uniting these two women who disagree. We'll see them in heaven because their names are written in the Lamb's book. Jesus will get a lot of glory in heaven for the way he united them and put them together. The same is true in our life together as a church here in 2021 in Richmond, Virginia. Let me pray. Lord, we need a sense of this today. I pray that you would help us. Uh, this stuff is so hard. And so, and yet you know that. You've given us your spirit. Uh, Jesus, you've shed your blood. And so I pray that you would help us uh, uh, to bear witness to the gospel, not just with our lips, but with uh, our uh, hearts and our lives uh, that unite us to those with whom we differ. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sins together. Heavenly Father, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, we have been granted full access to enter into your presence, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Yet there's a terrible coldness in our hearts, a hardness toward you, a lack of love for our neighbor, a failure to live as brothers and sisters, and an unwillingness to admit our sin and need for you. Forgive us for Jesus' sake. Come near, good Lord, and strengthen us until Christ reigns supreme within us in every thought, word, and deed. Give us a faith that renews the heart, overcomes the world, works by love, fastens us to you, and always clings to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.
Believers, hear these words of encouragement. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Please stand and worship with us. Love is this, oh my soul, oh my soul. 